Last week I taught in part John 6, 62 through 65 by way of the doctrine of the resurrection. When the time expired, I was about to teach John 6, 67 through 69. So I want to review that study, but first a brief review of what we learned last week. All right, uh, John 6, 67, 68, 69 in the KJV, and then 6, 67, 68, 69 in the NIV. But before I read these, we need to use 1 John 1 and 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful <clears throat> for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. Guide us now and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, here we go. KJV, then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now let's see how it looks in the NIV. John 6, 67 through 69. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. All right, I want to do some review, and then we'll pick up new material. Review points. One, in general, there are two returns from the dead. The two are resuscitation and resurrection. Resuscitation is used in this doctrine, as used, excuse me, uh, is, coming, is a coming back from the dead to ultimately participate in either the first or second resurrections. Two examples of resuscitation are Paul at Lystra while on his first missionary journey. Well, we have uh, the first one there. Then Jesus, who comes to the aid of the two sisters of Lazarus, was another example. So we studied those in Acts 14, 19 through 20, and compared it with 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 5. And then with reference to the Resuscitation of Lazarus, we studied that in John 11, 32 through 45. Alright, then we began, of course, the order of the resurrections as a part of our study of the doctrine of the resurrection. And we noted point one, the resurrection as it relates to Christ and his followers is that point in time where a new body is received and death is no more. There are four such resurrections in this classification, and these four make up what is known as the first resurrection. The resurrection of unbelievers is called the second resurrection. The four resurrections for the believer are Christ on the first Easter, Believers at the rapture, 
Old Testament saints and tribulation martyrs at the second advent, and millennial saints at the end of the millennium. The resurrection as it relates to the unbeliever occurs at the great white throne where unbelievers are resurrected to receive a body capable of everlasting punishment in a place designed for the devil and his demons. Matthew twenty-five forty-one, And that, of course, is the unbeliever at the great white throne. The resurrection is one of the very basic doctrines of Christianity and must be understood for potential uh, spiritual growth. We noted that in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. The resurrection of believers is part of the good news of the gospel. So says 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The importance of the resurrection is emphasized by Paul in his first letter uh, to Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17. The resurrection of Jesus is part of the strategic victory in the angelic conflict. So we noted that in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 25. The resurrection is a direct result of perfect justification. Our justification. Christ's justification. Notice Romans 4.25, who Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Wow, what an event in our life that we should be so designated. Who Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised because of our justification. In other words, the work of Christ worked because we, of course, will indeed be a follower of Christ and uh, be raised, uh, excuse me, just like our Lord. All right, the, the agents of the resurrection are two, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of Christ is the basis for our confidence and ecstatic happiness in eternity future. 1 Peter 1, 5. As earlier noted, there are two general types of resurrections, and of course the first and the second resurrections. Let's see how the resurrection, uh, better said the resurrections, plural, fit on our regular dispensation chart. And you see our chart, which you have noted many times. And we note, of course, the resurrection of believers at the rapture is battalion one. And then at the second advent, we have that unusual, though it not be a technically a resurrection, it's an unusual event when believers move over into the millennium with him. But they don't get their resurrection bodies yet. All right, uh, because they need to be cap capable of procreation, and that's not cap that's not something a resurrection body does, but they have to do that in order to have unbelievers in the millennium. And then, of course, uh, millennial saints will get their resurrection bodies at the end of the millennium. So we studied all that. Now, 
provided you a brief review. Now then for new material and a study of John 6, 67 through 69. I'm going to read the NIV. We, uh, of course, have read both the KJV and the NIV earlier, but won't hurt to do it again. NIV, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. All right, the life of Peter, the apostle. I think the best way to understand these several verses, John 6, 67, 68, and 69, is just by reviewing the life of Peter. All right, introduction. Peter was one of the earliest and most prominent disciples of Jesus. Several names are given him. The Hebrew name, Simeon, the Greek name, Simon, the Aramaic name, Sephos, or Kephos, and its Greek counterpart, Peter. Notice, notice Acts 15, 14 says, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles and take out of them a people for his name. And then Matthew 4, 18 and 19, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Andrew brought Peter to see Jesus. It has often been called Operation Andrew, uh, and that is uh, right out of a Billy Graham uh, book of instructions that we use to train our disciples from time to, um, excuse me, our counselors from time to time. Operation Andrew, go get your brother and bring him to the crusade or bring him to the movie and learn about the Lord Jesus as the Savior of the world. Okay, let's look at John 1.42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, or Cephas, or Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So Andrew went and got his brother Peter and brought him to see Jesus. Now let's look at uh, Cephas as a chip off the old rock. Peter, a chip off the rock. Point one. Kephas is an Aramaic name often used to designate Peter as the disciple of Christ or as a disciple of Christ, although Cephas soon gave way to Peter. As an apostle and leader in the early church, we find Petros is used in lieu of Kephas. Both Kephas and Petros mean a small rock chipped off a much larger rock, a Petra. Peter is a translation from the Greek word Petros, meaning a piece of a rock chipped from a larger rock, a name given to Peter by Christ himself. Matthew 6, 16, 17, and then dropping down to verse 
18. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Petros was a chip off the big rock, which was Christ uh, himself. But in particular, uh, it's important to know the meaning of Petros and how it is contrasted with Petra. So in Matthew 16, 18, there is an obvious play on the words, Peter, Petros, a proper name, denoting a piece of rock. And rock, Petra, which is a large, generally, rocky mass. The spiritual body, the church, mentioned here for the first time, is built upon the divinely revealed fact about Christ as confessed by Peter. As men are made aware of and acknowledge his person and work, they become members of the body of Christ, the church. All right, let's take a look at the origin and early life of Peter. Peter's original home was Bethsaida, a fishing village on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, not far from Capernaum, where Jesus had decided to live and work out of a particular home there. It was there Peter and his brother Andrew docked their vessel. And I've showed you a picture of the Sea of Galilee, which you have seen before, but helps you orient into the various towns around that most famous sea. Notice John 144, now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. It was also near Capernaum, somewhere on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that Andrew and Peter first met the Lord. Okay, now let's look at Matthew 4, 18 and 19. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter and Andrew were partners in the fishing business with Zebedee and his son James and John. Compare Mark 1, 16 through 18. Mark 1, 16 through 18 with Luke 5, 4 through 11. All right, let's read Mark first. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Peter's father, Jonah, was probably a fisherman an occupation which Peter and his brother Andrew had followed. According to present standards, 
His education was limited, but he would have been able to read and write Aramaic and to speak some Greek, which was widely used in the cities of Galilee, though with a guttural Galilean accent. Peter and his brother Andrew were followers of John the Baptist, who first called their attention to Jesus. Peter, with the other disciples, accompanied Jesus from the scene of John the Baptist's ministry back to Capernaum. In all probability, they returned to their fishing for a brief time, although the Gospels do not state so directly. So from the large number of disciples who followed him, Jesus, much later, chose twelve to be his ultimate companions. The motives of Peter in following Jesus were initially as much personal as spiritual. Knowing that Jesus was recommended by an influential figure like John the Baptist, he saw him as a potential Messiah for the nations. All right, now let's look at Peter's life as a disciple. Jesus' education of Peter is illustrated by a number of episodes. Jesus began to teach Peter a new mode of life. Let's look at a few examples. In response to Peter's question concerning the payment of the temple tax, Jesus answered him that the true Israelites should be free from taxation and then supplied enough money to pay for himself and for Peter also. When Peter asked Jesus whether he should forgive an annoying enemy for more than seven offenses, Jesus replied that he should forgive 70 times seven, Matthew 18, 21 and 22, an injunction that Peter would find hard to obey, certainly as most would think. Seven times 70 is 490 years which certainly has eschatological applications. See the doctrine of 70 weeks. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Till seven times? Jesus answered unto him, I say not unto thee, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Peter's surprise over the Withered fig tree is our next example. Uh, certainly, the fig tree is a representation of Israel, but let's take a look at Peter's surprise over the withered fig tree. It certainly implies some incredulity concerning Jesus' power. Jesus promptly reminded him that he needed more faith. Mark eleven twenty through 22 there are all manner of eschatological nuances involved in these passages relating to the fig tree. And in the morning, says Mark eleven twenty, and we're going to read through verse 24. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto him, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, 
but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. A promise appropriate for the age of the kingdom which Jesus was offering, though it would be rejected. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them who, of course, believe on his name. All right, Peter objected uh, to letting Jesus wash his feet. But when Jesus told him that it was a necessary condition of fellowship, Peter revealed his real attitude by asking for a bath. John 13, 5 through 10. All right, we're going to look briefly at those verses, but there's need to understand some meanings found therein, especially as they relate to nipto, the washing of hands and feet, and of course, luo, an entire bath. Nipto in these passages refers to washing of hands and feet, and luo refers to a complete bath of the body. Nipto refers to rebound, and luo refers to salvation faith. But as, they will, as you will see, they have both been translated wash or bathe. John 13, beginning in verse 6. six. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash Nipto my feet? Jesus had gotten a towel, and it was obvious he was going to wash the feet of the disciples. So we have then in, in verse 6, a question, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash Nipto my feet? Jesus answered and saith unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash Nipto my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash Nipto thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, and not my feet only, but also my hands and feet and head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed, now then we have the word luo for translated wash, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. So again, a differential made here of luo and nipto. And uh, by way of review, you and I only need lip to uh, Luo once, and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have need of many niptos, but only one luo, nipto referring to naming our sin back to God. All right, let's move on. Peter was one of the three chosen to watch with Jesus in Gethsemane, but fell asleep from weariness and stress. Matthew 26, 37 through 40. And I'll read... And he took with him Peter and his two sons, or the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy, knowing what was going to come about. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and 
farther and fell on his feet and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Now when the arresting party came, Peter attempted to defend Jesus with weapons and was sternly rebuked. Peter then fled from the garden with other disciples. John 18, verses 10 through 11, and I'll read. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant. He cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword unto the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? All right, and of course, uh, having regained his equanimity, if you will, in some measure, Peter with John appeared at the house of the high priest after following the arresting party at a discreet distance. Alarmed by the latest hostility around him, three times he vigorously denied any connection with Jesus. Now, a point about John 18.10. You remember what our Lord said, you know, if I'd wanted to do it by force, I could have brought numerous battle-hardened warrior angels and they could have taken care of all who might show animosity toward the Savior, but he didn't want to do it that way. So let's go on. Having regained his equanimity, Peter with John appeared at the house of the high priest after following the arresting party at a discreet distance. Alarmed by the latent hostility around him, uh, he vigorously denied any connection with Jesus. And you will recall, of course, the events in the garden were certainly wearing on the mind of Peter, but he followed the Lord and appeared in the courtyard. All right, a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy of the three denials before the rooster crowed twice can be found in Mark 14, 66 through 72. And I'll read, and as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself as he looked, as she, excuse me, looked upon him, she said, and thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went, in, went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and he began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And Peter denied it again. And a little after, after that stood by uh, one who said unto Peter, again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. And he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word of Jesus, who had said unto him before the cock crowed twice, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Uh, 
and when he thought thereon, he wept. All right, when the disciples returned to Galilee, Peter proposed that they resume their trade of fishing. They, uh, the Lord will rebuke Peter, and he will remind Peter and the other disciples that they were to be fishers of men and not fish. John 21, beginning in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. So you'll recall the disciples had arrived at the lake and they were out performing their work as commercial fishermen. They saw the Lord and the Lord appeared to them and he sat down and started to eat with them and he rebuked Peter. Now verse 17. He saith unto him, that the Lord speaking of course to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was aggrieved because he said a third time. Because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. All right, now let's take a look at Peter in Jerusalem. After the ascension of Jesus, the disciples were gathered in an upper room for prayer awaiting the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter in error proposed that one be chosen to take the place of Judas Iscariot so that the apostolate might be complete. Acts 1, 15 through 23. Now what note, this is in error, but it'll all get straightened out when God the Holy Spirit comes and begins to teach his disciples. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled with the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David, spoke before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and hath obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. All right, and it must, excuse me, and it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch that fields called in their proper tongue, Akeldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let this habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric let another take. Therefore, wherefore, of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, 
and Matthias. And you know, Paul was the twelfth apostle. And uh, not uh, these two, or either one of the two. All right, now let's look on uh, page 11, point two. At the first New Testament day of Pentecost, Peter preached the initial message to the crowd that gathered, declaring that they must repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There were approximately 3,000 who had been converted. Now let's look at Acts 2, 37 through 43, where we're going to find Peter waxing eloquent, but in error, because he had not yet had the Holy Spirit to teach him and therefore he was assuming the Lord would come back immediately. So when the people heard Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord, your God, our God, will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So even though they lacked the amount of doctrine that uh, would be later required, the Lord blessed them, and they saw many miracles and many converts. All right, Peter in Acts 2, 14-21, preached in an attempt to explain the phenomena of tongues by quoting an error, Joel, and certainly his explanation was problematic. Acts 2, 14, and we shall read through verse 20. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Followed Jews, excuse me, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be darkened. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's our, in your lesson plan, the, what we call the regular dispensation chart which reflects the events to come. Now, Merrill F. Unger, in his book entitled Tongues, has written, quote, Joel's prophecy was to show the multilingual Jewish listeners gathered from all parts of the Roman Empire to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, 
that the strange exhibition of languages by these simple Galilean followers of Jesus was not an instance of drunkenness or emotional excess. Quoting again, on the contrary, it was something paralleled by their own prophetic scriptures, closely akin to similar spiritual phenomena predicted to be visited upon their own race previous to the establishment in kingdom blessing. Peter's quotation evidently purposefully goes beyond and beyond any possible fulfillment at Pentecost by including the events of the still future day of the Lord preceding kingdom establishment. The reference is solely in an illustrative sense to Jewish listeners at Pentecost. It is Unger's opinion that the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in total is still future, a series of events to occur in the tribulation ushering in Christ's millennial blessing. And such also is the uh, opinion of many great expositors, including this expositor of the West Bank Bible Church and Colonel R.B. Thing and John Ryrie and Dwight Pentecost and John Walford. In fact, John Walford in his book, The Holy Spirit has written, quote, the prophecy of Joel, a notable prophecy of the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament by Peter. The prophecy is first of all related to the present age and the phenomena of the day of Pentecost. A careful study of the passage will reveal that this is only a partial fulfillment. The prophecy of Joel, as I continue to quote now from Walward's book, the prophecy of Joel will have its ultimate fulfillment in the consummation of God's purpose for Israel. These wonders in heaven and in earth obviously did not occur on the day of Pentecost or any succeeding day of the Christian dispensation that is the church age. It remains for the tribulation period as described in the book of Revelation. So during the early years of the church in Jerusalem, Peter was the acknowledged leader. He performed notable miracles. See Acts 3, 1 through 7 and following. Defended the cause before the Sanhedrin. Acts 4, 18 through 12 and disciplined offenders like Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira, excuse me. Acts 5, 3 through 8. And I shall read 3, 1, reading through verse 7. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now Acts 4, 8, and 9, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done 
to the impotent man by what means is he made whole. And so we have then uh, many miracles where Peter was involved, but it's time for us to shut things down. And uh, I want to take a moment to present the claims of Christ to anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. Right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. Remember, Christ came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But as many that did receive Him, they became members of God's forever family, just as you can today, right where you are, simply telling God the Father and believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. It's all by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it's necessary. Why? Because we are all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What must I do to be saved? Declared the jailer. And the answer was short, sweet, and simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that you can do right now. Now I'm going to provide an in, uh, a benediction. And we'll pick up, continue our study of the Apostle Peter. Next week, the Lord willing, and the creek doesn't rise. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together and to study your word. Now I would ask that uh, God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented Make it real in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ. Amen.